as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that we're able to study it. Thank you that we're able to learn and glean wisdom from you, Lord God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me to be enabled with your power to give the message that is needed for your people, that I'm out of the way, that it's you. And I pray that you help each and every single one of us here be able to focus on you, your word, and what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, before we dig into the focus text of this morning as we continue our journey in the Gospel of John, let's take a moment to ponder the charge from last week. How do you answer? So in that, we saw how John the Baptist answered when questioned. In John the Baptist answers, we saw humility. We saw simplicity. We saw a focus on pointing to God, not man, not self. We saw identity not in what the world says. There was an identity in jobs, degrees, resumes, credentials, the last thing you did for God, the number of kids you have, who you follow on social media. No, the identity was in I am not the Christ. The identity for the believer found in Christ alone. So saints of Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, how do you answer who are you? Did you take the time to think about that? How did you do this past week with the imposed calling of being in his word and not conformed to the world? How do you answer, where's your worth found? In Psalm 25.5, when we looked at it, we saw, lead me in your ways, truth, and teach me. For you are God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Is that you? So also, as we discussed on Wednesday night in Psalm 5, listen to it if you weren't here, better yet, show up, make the time, come for it. Our calendars easily get filled with so much. I know that, not knocking that. There used to be a time where culturally, Wednesdays, the calendars allowed for people to get to church. We've moved from that. But just check your priority, check your calendar, see if you can make the time. It's not about having people here. It's about taking the time to be in his word, to grow, to meet with him. Now, Wednesday night again, we discussed we can't let anything be on autopilot with God. Prayer can't be on autopilot. Bible study can't be on autopilot. They can't be habits. We have to truly allow ourselves to enter into his presence with the right spirit for those things, especially prayer, as we saw on Wednesday. What is that spirit? A spirit of humility, a spirit of turning off your emotions, seeking to twist that time so that you can just do what you want, but instead being surrendered and opened to what he wants alone. So before we even delve and open up the word of God this morning, devices, turn off notifications. If you use your device for Bible study, do not disturb. Whatever you need to do, do it. Take the time. Go ahead. Some of you are doing it. Turn off the notifications so you're solely focused on God right now. Better yet, you know me, I'm old school. Get the, get the Bible and journal, have the physical thing, and just commune with him. So let's enter into his presence. Stand with me as we read our passage for today, John 1. And we're going to be beginning in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Lord, thank you for this word. Help us to receive what you have for it. Holy Spirit, enable me to bring forth what you need us to glean from it. Distractions aside, solely focused on you to hear what you would say and what you would give us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we continue with a portion that gives us more of a glimpse of the work of John the Baptist. And it's a reminder for us again to always prayerfully study the people that come up in his word. That we can learn and glean wisdom from how they approached life. So for John the Baptist, we've already gleaned a humility and a focus on pointing people to Christ. Something I pray that every single one of us will emulate. It's personally impacted me to just get to people and say to them, do you need prayer? Can I talk to you about Jesus more than I usually have, to be completely honest? And it's been a blessing to have that fire of evangelism get lit again. And I'm going to tell you, people are open. People want to have the conversations. So verse 29, we read, the next day. Right there, continuing to build that telling of Jesus' ministry, starting over a week. That's how it's done in the Gospel of John. And again, it's the Gospel that starts within the beginning. And we think about Genesis, which starts within the beginning. We have the creation of the world. And in this Gospel, we see that new creation through Jesus over a span of seven days that allows each of us to be new in him. While John covers it in a week, it's important to note by all accounts, and when we look at the other ones, that this, what we're looking at right now, would be after John baptized Jesus. And we'll see that later on in the verses with the confirmation of who Christ is during that baptism that it's revealed. And that would also be after the 40-day temptation in the wilderness as well. Jesus is now coming to see John's ministry in action. He's coming to see what he's doing. And as he's coming... Uh, sorry, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, we could probably, quite frankly, spend the entire morning right there. We could just be there. We could be there for a year if we really wanted. Now, Jesus, uh, Jesus, John could have said so many different things in that moment. He could have said, It's the Messiah. He could have said, there's a great teacher coming this way. He could have said, look at this miracle worker. He could have said anything powerful and mighty. But no, John focuses on the essence and purpose, the center of Jesus. The word became flesh in one sentence. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold. That 1828 Webster's, which you know I love. I thank the brother who showed it to me years ago. That definition there, to fix eyes upon. To see with attention. To observe with care. Behold. 
In that word alone, Jesus makes it clear, all eyes, all focus, everything on who is coming. And guess what? He's saying, do it with care. Focus on him with care. Focus on him. Similar to us when we behold the word of God like we're doing this morning. Fix your eyes on him. Give him your attention. Observe how you listen to his word with care. There's a consistency here in John fulfilling his calling to prepare the way for the Lord. When he appears in the crowd, he doesn't just go, hey, check it out. Hey, look, it's behold. Then the Lamb of God. So he goes a step further now. He says, this is the Lamb of God. We see that phrase here. We'll see it again in verse 36. And it means something to us, of course. That means something to us when we hear the Lamb of God. But it also had a very powerful meaning for the people of that time and for the Jews especially. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Forewarning, we're going to be doing a little dive on some bigger chunks. You'll see why. Chapter 12, and we're going to do verses 1 to 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire." its heads with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will not pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike, for I will, sorry, pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Many of us know this story. There's so much in there. Go back, go through, gloss it. But remember, the people of this time would know of the Passover lamb. They would know of the gift of that blood that enabled them to be out of Egypt. To have that, they would know the journey out of Egypt. They would know the covering of the blood. Now, the covering of the blood means something way more for us, amen? But they would know that. You see, even before this, this lamb here, they would know of the sacrifice of a lamb unto God. Man had to provide that lamb, 
without blemish, to be in right standing with God. And we see as we went through that passage some of the details and the requirements that would come. Now John takes this and he says, Jesus is the Lamb of God. In saying this, he also knows they would have another frame of reference. Through the reading of scriptures, they would read the Torah, the children would read the Torah, and they would actually have a reference as a man being sacrificed. Go back a little. Genesis 22. And we're going to start right in the first verse of chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stand here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. We see the faith that he has in going because he says, we will come back to you. We see the faith he has. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Again, the child knows, the children know, this is what needs to be done. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So he has faith, because this is a huge sacrifice. I have a son now. I can't picture that. It's a huge sacrifice. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me, giving all to God. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. They would know of this story. They would know of this moment where a lamb was provided. And God provided for himself. And in Jesus, in saying, this is the lamb of God. He gives a powerful reality to them saying, listen, this is the ultimate lamb. 
the ultimate sacrifice provided. We see the faith that Abram has in verse 8. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And think about that. If you knew that story and then you hear him saying, behold, the lamb of God. This is a big sacrifice, this man. All other times, man has to provide to atone for sin. This is now God providing the ultimate lamb. They would also know Isaiah 53, 7, speaking of the Messiah to come. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Behold the Lamb of God. Prophecy fulfilled. Can we do me a favor? Can we never say we shouldn't study the Old Testament? Truly. We must be students and scholars of the Old Testament and also the New Testament. The New Testament is concealed inside the Old Testament. The 66 books are all there, and then it gets revealed as we go through. We have the whole council, but clearly we've got to study the Old Testament. Then we have who takes away the sin of the world. Notice it doesn't say who takes away the sins of the world. Because what happens here, all the mess, all the faults, past, present, future, every single person, every single burden, every single weight of sin cast on one man. That we can be freed for it's taken by him. Hallelujah. It's taken by him. Jesus, the ultimate sin offering. For before Jesus, we saw sacrifices had to be obtained. Leviticus 4, we see. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. Purification for inadvertent sins. In Leviticus 5, we see, If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. Got to always give the truth. Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanliness, whatever uncleanliness, with which a man may be defiled and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of those matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. A female from the flock, a lamb, or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. Failure to be a truthful witness. Not enough. You've got to put the truth for Ceremonially unclean. Giving a false off. All sins, all trespasses, and an offering has to be made. 
Now, these are just a few examples, but we have to look at them and see, one, thank God that we're not in the time that we need to be coming up with all these sacrifices, because I don't know where I'd find all these lambs. But the other piece, thank God for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because all of those sacrifices that they had to give, they're temporary. They would have to be done annually. Guess what? The sacrifice of Jesus is permanent. It is eternal. It is eternal. Turn to Hebrews 9. And we're going to look at verse 26. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of ages, he has appeared to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of these things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible with the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So we see here in this, this is a deep dive due in Hebrews 9 and 10. It's a beautiful place because even when we go, if you go down to verse 18 there, now there, uh, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering of sin because we go through how Christ's death makes it that there's no more offering needed. This gives the hymn, Jesus Paid It All, a really deeper meaning when we think about that. And may we praise our king with that. But when you look at Hebrews 9 and 10, and after we did the study with the men and going on my own, looking at it, I really do think Paul's the author, but that's a separate conversation. But if we look at this, the people hearing, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, would have a context and awareness that makes this have their ears perk. And the last bit of this who takes away the sin of the world. All the sacrifices we looked at, that was all pertaining to the people of Israel. Guess what? Now it's for the entire world. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's for the whole world. And in this, this is the prophecy coming. And we're going to see when we look at, uh, when you see 1 John 2, 2, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. That's a big concept that comes. And that passage in Isaiah 53, the by his stripes we are healed, often gets attributed to physical healing. I'm never going to say God can't heal. I want to be clear on that. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants. He can heal, or he can take the person out of the illness that they have. 
But what we need to remember, that is about the worst disease ever, the sin-sick soul, period. It's about the sin-sick soul. It's about the need for humanity to have salvation. So now we go back to this one sentence. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in one sentence, John captures the entire essence of Jesus. In one sentence, John also tells us something really important. We only have one need, folks. Jesus. Don't buy the lies of the world. Don't be deceived. You only have one need. Jesus. The Passover lamb was for deliverance. The sacrifices, the offerings was for forgiveness. It was a constant seeking of forgiveness, deliverance, purification. The lamb of God gives it. It's all we need. Basta così. Don't get lost seeking all other things. And it goes back to that question that I'm having us ponder. Is Jesus enough? Is the fact that you can be under the blood that takes away the sin of the world not enough for you? And we get icing on the cake because we have the whole counsel of the word of God. And this lamb image continues in scripture. In Revelation 5, you see it. In Revelation 7, you see it. Turn to Revelation 21, 22, you see. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Revelation 22, 1 to 5. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. His servants shall serve him. And verses we looked at in the beginning of this month. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's the promise to me. That's the promise to you who believe, receive, and are children of God. As such, is the Lamb of God not enough? We see what the Lamb meant. We see who the Lamb is. We see the hope for us to come in the Lamb of God. Is it not enough? People sometimes say in culture, we focus so much on the Lamb of God. We need the lion. We need to be strong. We need to be strong. The Lamb is weak. I challenge that because a lamb that can take what Jesus took on the cross and take it with the humility and the selflessness that he takes, I pray I can have an ounce of that courage as a man of God. That is true courage. Is he not enough? Stop chasing the world. Stop making it about you. Stop the excuses and just relish in him. Jesus. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Youth, if we were in the room, I would say, where have we seen this before in scripture? And then I would say, context clue, go back a few verses, maybe half the verses, 15. Look at verse 15. It looks familiar. John is born before Jesus, 
and knows Jesus Christ is preexistent. We studied that already. And he knew he's eternal. He knew he's the son of God. Is there a lesson in a repeated verse? Yes, consistency. John is consistent. He's focused on the mission and he takes what God says and he puts that words and gives it to people. We need to be consistent to the word of God. We need to be consistent to simply stating what God reveals in his word and putting that in front of people. The church, the larger church, is seeking so many other forms of a gospel to preach. Just stick to the true gospel. There's only one. Just stick to it. And a fun nugget here with this after me, in that Greek wording there, that means man. And it points to man. It points to maleness. It points to Christ's headship of the believer. It points to Christ's headship of the church over the whole world. Verse 31, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. John, perhaps we see from this, was, is clearly unaware in the times he may have been around or may have seen Jesus, that he is and the Messiah. In the womb, we see in Luke, again, Scripture gives us context for everything. Mary and Elizabeth meet in Luke 1, 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Clearly, he's not going to remember the leap in the womb, but it tells us, one, life in the womb matters. Two, it tells us that from the womb, when we look at Psalm 139, that God has a purpose and a plan from the womb He's waving. He's like, I, I have to point to this one, Messiah. I'm pointing to the Messiah. John remains faithful to his call. And he reminds them, I was to baptize with water, so that's what I did. Saints, are you faithful to your call as a child of God? The call to be in his word. The call to be in worship. The call to be in prayer. The call to be in the fellowship with a body of believers, the church. Don't forget your call as his child, we get so lost pursuing everything of the world. And as we do it, our emotions take over and we neglect our first love. It makes me think, Deep South Conference, thinking of that Ken Graves with his little, there's a four-letter word. There's a four-letter word, man, that we can't say. Feel. Feel. Those feelings. Our emotions can't be what guides us. It's got to be God's word. It has to be God's word. Verse 32. And John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him. John the Baptist. I think as I was looking at this, he should really be John the witness. He stays faithful to giving his testimony of the truth he saw so that all would believe. A witness can't play in the middle. They've got to be all in what they testify. And John is clearly all in to testify Christ alone. How's your witness? The synoptic gospels recall from our intro when we started this book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they go into detail with the baptism and they go into the details of the voice of God, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Here, the focus is the spirit. Now, this spirit is the same spirit we see in Genesis 1 one and two, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. All three, Trinity, triune God, present at creation. All three, Trinity, triune God, present with Jesus Christ's birth that brings the new creation. The Spirit descends as a dove, and it remains 
upon him. Now, the Spirit of God did come on people in the Old Testament, but what would happen? The Spirit would come for an act God would need them to do. They do the act and they carry on. Didn't remain. But in this moment, it's an important delineation. The Spirit of God remained upon him. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Spirit of God. We serve a triune God. And in the moment of baptism, Jesus, the Word became flesh, shows the Spirit of God remaining on the manhood of Jesus. How does the Spirit of God remain on man today? They believe, they receive at that moment of salvation, the Spirit of God is in us. Verse 33. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John points to God's direction. John points to God's confirmation in his word, being truth through the actions that take place. Prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah eleven two, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Freedom for the sin-sick soul. Healing for the sin-sick soul. That's the freedom we get from Jesus. Jesus' baptism shows us many things. First, we see the humility of the Word became flesh as humanity receiving baptism. Christ identifies with the people of this world and the humility we need. When we are baptized, we identify with him in death, burial of our sins, and resurrection through his spirit to be a new creation. In Jesus' baptism, the spirit comes and remains upon him. In our baptism, it's a symbolism of the work of the spirit of Jesus already in our lives. The dove isn't descending because he's already in our hearts. How can we identify, it's a symbol, it's an identification with the death, burial, and resurrection if the regenerative work hasn't taken place in our heart? Baptism isn't a vessel of salvation, and we can't paint it as that. Baptism also isn't a requirement to be a part of a church or part of church membership, not seen in the scriptures. All to say, when we ponder the question, is Jesus enough? we also have to ponder are the simplicity and ways he ordains to identify and honor and remember him enough, or do we have to add to it? Is the symbolism of baptism enough? Former Catholic, is the symbolism in the remembrance of communion enough? Now, the end of verse 33, he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We see this phrase seven times in the New Testament, five times prophetically, one time historically, and one for doctrine. We're going to look at the one for doctrine, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit, the gift of salvation. Yet, when we hear Holy Spirit, when we hear the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit, concern can come up. 
People are like, oh, you're saying Holy Spirit. I'm getting a little worried. What's going to happen? Let's not stay there too long. Let's not get Pentecostal. Let's not run around the room. Let's all stand up and run now. No, that's not what I'm saying. And, not but, and, saints, we need to be honest. The greater church has taken the beauty and the person of the Holy Spirit and turned him into a creepy thing that we shouldn't touch. They've abused him by misrepresenting him. They make it a spectacle. They make it a show based on emotion. Or as we talked about on Wednesday, the phrase God told me, we misuse the Holy Spirit told me to justify our own emotions, having never even been surrendered to his presence or entered into his presence or been in his word to have it speak to you. As a result, we also then over-intellectualize the Holy Spirit and we try to make the Holy Spirit fit into a box that works for us. So Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, can we take stock? What is your relationship with the Holy Spirit? John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Helper, teacher, bring to remembrance all things I teach you. There's so many times scripture comes to memory when I'm talking with someone, I'm like, Holy Spirit, thank you. I didn't remember that. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. This is who he is. Teacher, helper, comforter. After the resurrection, after he's revealed himself to the apostles, we see in John 20, 21 to 22. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is when his disciples are born again through the Holy Spirit, and it's upon them. He gives them a new life, and they have the ability to carry out their mission. What does God do in Genesis with man? He breathes life. What does he do at the new creation through the Holy Spirit? breathes the new life into us, the new life of who he's calling us to be. We'll do a deeper dive when we get to that portion of the scripture, but we see that's what happens with the Holy Spirit. Then, how do they then do the work that they're called to do? We look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1, 4 through 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then we see in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of of the earth. The promise of the Holy Spirit to give them what? Power. To give them the ability to do what he's called them to do. Then the Holy Spirit comes. Acts 2. 
When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The power comes. Sadly, we take this and we say, if you don't have tongues, you're not saved. If you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. Fake news. Saints, track with what we just saw as we worked through God's word, not man's word. We saw the Holy Spirit. We saw who he is, teacher, helper, comforter. We saw that he comes in at salvation, received, breathed into, in us at salvation. And then we saw he's promised to come and come again and again and again and again, be filled again and again to give power. And we see that power coming in the early church. The gifts, guess what? This isn't the time to dive into them, but they still all do exist. They have to be done in biblical order. Go to 1 Corinthians 14 on tongues. It's a biblical order for how these things need to be done. Now, for us today, what we need to realize is we need to think about what do we need to do with the Holy Spirit? One, we need to stop abusing and misusing him. And we need to seek a refreshed communion with the Holy Spirit because we need him daily. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The word for spirit there, dunamis, is power. Saints, we need to commune with the Holy Spirit so that we can have his power, his strength, his enabling on this earth. So we can be who he needs us to be. We need that filling so through his power we can rightly divide the word. Through his power we can understand his word. Through his power we can recall it. Through his power we can apply it. Through his power we can do his word. We see his word, but it is only through the Holy Spirit that we have the power to be doers of his word. The Holy Spirit isn't a weird object. The Holy Spirit is a person of the triune God waiting for us to commune with him, to have the power to do what God asks of us. The power for them in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what do they do? You shall be witness to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Power to preach, power to witness, power to build the church. Think of the trials they would face. Death, martyrism. That's what the Holy Spirit gives them the power to do. And the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are so that you can do the work of preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit's still the same. The Holy Spirit's doing the same thing for us. He equips us, and it's through him, that shy person who can never really, you think of them like, oh, they never talk. They, through the Holy Spirit, go up to that person, evangelize, tell them about the Lord, start quoting scripture, and you're just like, whoa. And the scripture, the word of God at the center. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Saints, what's your communion with the Holy Spirit like? I pray that we're honest with God. I pray that we repent of areas where we've misused, where we've misspoke. I pray that we seek to be refreshed with him to live as we're called to. 
to live the purpose he's given us. The purpose, remind the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has come. Verse 34. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. May we be the faithful witness as John was. He saw and he shared Jesus is the Son of God. Saints, through his word, we see who he is. A plea. Please stop using Christianese. Please stop sharing Christian self-help books. Share the word of God. Let the word do what it's called to do. It's a double-edged sword. Just share the word of God. Put the word of God in front of people and let it do its work. And pray that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Pray that the Holy Spirit gives you the power and the ability to say, this is for you. That's what we need to do. Verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now we're going to do a deeper dive on this portion next week, but we see the next day continues. Remember, just highlighting the day, the next day, the next day. We're going to see that in the beginning. And John is now with two of his disciples. Verse 40 in this chapter tells us one is Andrew. Most scholars and theologians point that the other is the author of this gospel, John. And then in verse 36, Jesus, as he walks, what does John say? Behold, the Lamb of God. Again, consistency of John. Men, men in the room. Last week, we talked about men seeking biblical manhood by looking at men of the Bible. Are you consistent about who you say Jesus is with your words and with your life? A question to check. Are you consistent with looking to him as the leader and then leading your family that he's put under your care? Are you consistent with being a man of this church? Prayer, study, fellowship. I'm going to say something. Let's try to not be the church. And culturally, it's just the issue right now. Women are at everything. You're lucky if you see men. We're already way ahead of others, I think, of the Tuesday night study. But men, step up and be the man that God calls you to be. Men, look to Jesus. Men, behold, he is the Lamb of God. You've got to build your consistency, brothers. And we've got to hold each other accountable. Come to prayer. Come to Bible study. Get together with brothers from the church. Pray for each other. Be in the word together. There's an attack on masculinity in our country. Be the men that God calls us to be. And women, pray for the men in your lives. If they aren't saved, pray for salvation. If they are, pray for the areas they need to grow. They need to step up to be the man of God that they're called to be. Behold the Lamb of God. I pray that we can relish in these words. The Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. John intensely looks to Jesus. We need to do the same. John says, behold, remember the definition of behold, to fix eyes upon, to see with attention, to observe with care. Do you behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in your life? A question that I got to ask, do you know him? Is your name even in the book of life? 
things we have to think about. For this week, I pray that you ponder again, is Jesus enough? And that can seem like you off the cuff say, yeah, of course he is. I'll tell you firsthand, there's areas where I am noticing, no, he's not enough there because I still need this or I still look to this or I'm still thinking of this. Is Jesus enough? Do you rest in who he is or do you have to add to it because you haven't yet built the discipline to relish in his word alone? We got to build that discipline. It doesn't just happen. Building that discipline. What's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, Then he said to them all, and I know youth are like, you always bring up this verse. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I was waiting for the daily. Where was it? Come on. (laughs) Daily. Saints, to do this daily, guess what we need? To be filled with his spirit. That same spirit that we think is weird and it's like, I don't want to do that. I'm not that. That's not my. No, we need to commune with him because it's only through his power can we have the ability to deny ourselves daily. We need his power. We need to stand on him alone. He must increase. We must decrease. Weak and yielded to his power alone. So again, you got to first ask yourself, do you behold who the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in your life? Ponder, is he enough? Ponder, what's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? And lastly, tell someone, this is a bold one, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world this week. Tell somebody that and then share a verse with them. Give them an index card with a verse. Give them something, whatever. Or you can even ask them, do you know the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Why are you saying that? Saints, we're in a culture allowing children to change gender. At the click of your finger, you can get whatever you want. The world is doing all that it's doing, and the church is sitting idly by. We need to be the bold church of today. Because the bold church of today is preaching a woke social justice gospel. That's what they're doing. And they're filling their doors with lots of people and everybody's on the train to deception. But what about us? What about Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill? Think of what we looked at in Revelation 3, the history of this body. The history of this church. And then think about Calvary Chapel. Let's go back to the roots of this movement. The dove. The symbol of this movement. The Holy Spirit, this movement that we're a part of, started with a boldness to think out of the box. Let's leave the conventional ways that culture says to do church, and let's do simply the word, book by book, verse by verse, leave the rest to his spirit. Can we be a Calvary Chapel anchored in the roots of this movement? Anchored in his spirit. Can we be a Calvary Chapel bold enough through the power of his spirit Not man, not emotions, not what we think is best and say it's the Spirit told me. His Spirit. So the last charge again and pray, Holy Spirit, give me the boldness to do this this week. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or, hey, you're you're in line with me. The line's really long. Do you know the Lamb of God? Can I tell you about the Lamb of God? Can I tell you what he did in my life? 
We have to be his salt and light. We have to be his hands and feet. We have to be the church. And we see the Holy Spirit came to give them the power to do what? Preach all over the world. The Holy Spirit comes to give us the power to witness, to share. Behold the Lamb of God. Now before we close, I want to give you a reminder. Prayer after service. We have prayer counselors that are up here. I'm available for prayer. Pastor David is available for prayer. Pastor Jeff is available for prayer. Why am I pointing this out? If conviction struck, if something hits you, don't just leave here and be like, all right, I'm going to go about, let's go have some snacks and have some coffee. Not knocking it. I love the coffee. I'm from Long Island. We love coffee. But the reality is we're the church. Prayer is vital. So humble yourself enough. We looked at our Savior who humbled himself in baptism. Humble yourself enough to say, can you pray with me? We've got our elders that can also pray. We got Jack. We got Larry. We got Paul. There he is. Seek prayer. Go to a brother or sister. Pray for each other. Search your heart about what God's doing with his word in your heart. Seek prayer that you abide that the Holy Spirit enables you to do his word. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that this book, it's mind-boggling. You go back to a passage you've read a zillion times, Lord, and your spirit shows us more and more we never can get enough. We never can learn enough, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that each and every single one of us would search our hearts, take the time to revisit these verses, take the time to ponder them, Lord, to ponder what you spoke through your word, Lord, because that's how you speak to us, Lord, with the double-edged sword, discerning our thoughts and the intents of our heart, Lord. Search us, Lord. Search every single one of us, Lord, that we're who you need us to be, Lord that every one of us in this room would be planted on your word, your spirit, your way, your word, your spirit, your way, because it's about you. Lord, help us not to get lost in self. And when we do, Lord, help us to be quick to say, I'm sorry, Father, I need you. Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me the power to abide in my king. Give me the power to obey my king. Give me the power to be who he needs me to be. Lord, we're made by you and for you. Lord, I pray that you help us take the time to pray, take the time to fellowship with each other, seeking you. Please, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a good afternoon.